Thank you to 12th Street Sound for sponsoring today's episode. If you're an artist and you want your next recordings to stand up to the best of the best, you need to learn more about 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in my home city, New Westminster, BC. 12th Street provides the value and bang for your buck that you can only get from a boutique studio. That's why I keep choosing Anthony Senarini at 12th Street Sound as my recording and mix engineer for my own music, released as William Chernoff. Anthony and the team are collectors and restoration specialists obsessed with music and recording equipment. When I go into the studio, I get more than just great service. I get the space to craft my story as an artist. You deserve the same as you work on your new music for 2022. Whether you need pre-production, tracking, mixing, or full production services, check out 12th Street Sound today and tell Anthony about your next project. Learn more at 12thstreet.ca. That's 12thst.ca. I did not have a backup plan ever. As soon as I knew I wanted to play music in grade 11 as a job, there were no backup plans. You know, there were some classes at school that I was like, oh, this is interesting. But in comparison to how much I love music and want to do music, there was nothing that I would rather do. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. With Rhythm Changes, we're striving to make the best possible interview show about a music scene. So if you're joining us for the first time, whether from Vancouver, BC, elsewhere in Canada, or across the world, get involved today with a visit to our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Music school. I've tried it. Many of my friends have completed it. And it's time we have a conversation on this show about going to music school and how to live that experience to the fullest. Our guest today just got started with Music University in the fall of 2021. Her main instrument is trombone, and I first met her after I performed a jazz set for students at New Westminster Secondary School in December 2019. She has contributed to the youth music group here called Noxious Ob Society. Now she studies at McGill University. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram under her own name. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Ted Katanoff. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How well, about you? I'm good. It's a snow day in the lower mainland. What I know right off the bat about how your first semester of music school has gone is that you've done two concerts with the Jazz Orchestra One group at McGill in Pollock Hall, and they were in October and this month of December, right? How did those go? They were great. That group is insane. Everybody's really good. <laughs> as a first year, I'm the only first year in the band. So as the first year, it's an amazing experience, right? But it's like really scary to see just how amazing all those musicians are. The band is so tight and we're starting to work together like really well. The sections are really blending. And so the concerts are great. I think that the second concert went for me personally a little bit better than the first one. I think the first concert, I was a little scared. I was like, oh my God, Jazz Orchestra 1, McGill, Pollock, Montreal. Ah. <laughs> but the second concert was really great. Had a lot of fun. Our second concert was mostly Montreal composers or Montreal kind of bass musicians and composers. So we did a lot of stuff by people who obviously are from Montreal. And then our first concert, we did a bunch of things from last year because almost the same band existed last year. I wasn't part of it, but like 
about three quarters of it was the same last year, same personnel. And so they did a bunch of things that they did last year online, um, but they did them in person. But yeah, they were both they were both great concerts, though. I'm super happy with them. The only first year in the band that's got to be a trombonist thing just as much as it is the thing about how hard you've worked up to this point because the (laughs) trombone is an interesting instrument in music school it's often the one that has a low supply and still a high demand to play in these school ensembles right yeah i mean for me because like bass trombone specifically there were three bass trombonists auditioning for large ensembles for jazz so there were really only three spots and then one of the bass trombonists that I also auditioned for large dance ensembles with is playing third trombone in the band and he also can play bass trombone which I think is super super dope actually because our first and second trombone players are like really good first and second trombone players and then our third trombone player plays tenor and bass so sometimes he'll play the third trombone parts when they get lower on bass and that really adds like a a different sound which I think is amazing like a big heavy bottom end which I really like in big bands yeah it's great. What kind of time did you have when you walked into like the first day or the first rehearsal of that band after you got in? Um, <laughs> I am known by, not by many, but by some to not necessarily be the greatest sight reader. I think my sight reading skills have since improved. But yeah, I was like a combination of adrenaline and fear um, <laughs> and excitement, of course. It went well, but I just, I remember the time I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm sight reading. Oh my God, I'm sight reading. This is Jazz Orchestra 1. Like, what do I do? Like, what is 4-4? What is quarter note? Like, how do I play this big slidey brass tube on my face, you know? So it was kind of overwhelming at the time, but it was also super exciting. Right at the end of the first rehearsal, Katie, my friend Katie George, she came up to me. She and I are the only women in the entire band. So I am the only female instrumentalist in the band. And so we kind of both immediately noticed that. And she came up to me at the end of the rehearsal and she's like, hey, like, I'm Katie. It's really great to meet you, you know. Uh, And we had a cool little conversation about all things jazz and music school and big band. And and that was really great. That was probably one of the highlights of the first rehearsal for me. It was meeting Katie. And now she's like one of my good friends. That's what you need is you need somebody who you can cut through the nervous energy with. Because you can imagine if you didn't have that or up until that moment before then, there is kind of this nervous energy in the room where the people who are coming in there they just feel like you they have that mixture of being mm-hmm. overwhelmed and not knowing what's going to come out of it and you just need somebody to break the ice and yeah. help you feel more comfortable at that point right somebody needs to step up and do that first or the teacher needs to provide something that loosens everybody up and then For as sure. you get to know each other then it gets better but at the beginning i know it can feel really weird yeah There was a bit of disconnect for me personally because I didn't know anyone really in the band initially. And so a lot of the personnel and the people in the band, they like knew each other already because most of them are third and fourth years. So just from kind of like being in Schulich for a couple of years and the band that they had last year, they kind of knew each other. But yeah, I didn't know any of them. It's also interesting too, because I am in classical, like my degree is not in jazz. It's in classical bass trombone. There are only two classical musicians in Jazz One, and one of them is one of our trumpet players, is a classical trumpet major. And so it's really interesting for me because I don't really do improv. I want to do improv, but it's kind of scary, and I think it's hard to approach a little bit. The disconnect, I think, was especially felt by me at that point because I was A, a classical musician, B, a first year, and C, I had just walked into this rehearsal where we were like sight reading stuff, and I was like, ah. So it was, yeah, no, it was great, but it was kind of overwhelming at the time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That part about 
the classical program and the jazz program, how different is it? Jazz majors, I think, can audition for classical ensembles, although it doesn't happen very often. The same is true vice versa. So classical majors can audition for jazz ensembles, but it doesn't happen very often. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So huh. it's like not super usual that there's a huge crossover, but you will, you know, you do see it sometimes. You'll have like jazz trombone players in the orchestra, for example. But, you know, we have a lot of trombone players now, so I don't know if there will be this year. Well, I remember once when we were talking in this room before anybody had ever done any podcasts in this room, I was just teaching lessons and working by myself in here. You were talking as a grade 12 student about which one of those things you wanted to do. And I kind of remember your reasoning behind it. I think you said something like, if you study classical, you'll still get to run around and play all the jazz you want, but also have the classical education at the core. And that if you study jazz, you'd be afraid that you missed out on the classical side of the education. Is that what you said? That is exactly what okay, I said. So I feel like you were right. I was right. I'm very happy that I was right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I do actually think that I was right in choosing classical because the classical kind of technique and like the knowledge you build as a classical musician can be transferable to jazz in many ways. Like technically speaking, you know, um, proficiency on your instrument, of course, you have to have in both kind of genres of music. Right. But um, there are things that transfer over from classical to jazz. And then if you're a jazz musician, though, and you want to play in like really higher level classical things. It is of course possible, but it's not as easy because there's some classical stuff that you kind of have to know before you play at that level. Mm -hmm. Specifically like stylistic things, you know, like different periods of classical music require different techniques and different kind of tone qualities, especially as a, as a bass trombonist um, in an orchestra and things. Yeah, it's just the knowledge barrier. Yeah. And we're not saying that somebody who goes right down the heart of jazz education is wrong because you're right. It's just that you were aware that you had the desire to do both. So you exactly. were like, how am I going to manage wanting to be educated in both of these things yeah. at the same time? That's completely what I'm saying. Yeah. So if there's like one thing that you really want to do, if you really, really like jazz and you want to do jazz, go for it. And the same is true of classical. You know, if you're like, oh, I don't really want to do jazz. I just want to play classical. Then do that. Do whatever. But for me, I want to think of myself more as a bass trombonist and not as a jazz-based trombonist or a classical-based trombonist. I just want to think of myself as someone who plays the bass trombone, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember I wrote a newsletter once where somebody replied back to me with this video clip of this guy who was like around my age probably, and he was like a gospel piano player in the States, and he was talking about like how his career worked and like what he thought was important about how he got to the success that he had. And he said something that I thought defined what a professional musician is pretty well. He said, I can play for any type of church or service. And that is specific because that's still only like church music or worship music or whatever. But I think if you can say, I can play for any X or Y, or I can cover any situation within this scope as a musician, I think that's probably what it means to be a professional. That definition appealed to me. I thought it was useful. Mm -hmm. So your focus on playing the bass trombone, I see it like that too, because you want to be able to be the bass trombonist in any situation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Talking about getting interested in playing jazz, I mean, I wasn't when I was a young kid, but I became interested in music, period. And I started playing for the first time after 
I got into the community at New Westminster Secondary School in that band room. Even mm-hmm. though it's a different band room now, you know the one I'm talking about because yeah, you I still do. got to be there. I have some memories that stand out to me now 10 years after the fact mm-hmm. about what it was like being in that band program. But first, like, what was it like for you when you arrived in it? It's a different time, right? Like you're not as keen and you're not the band student of the year yet at that point. But, yeah. you know, what was it like for you to get into end of music for the first time? Well, I mean, I, I did some band in middle school. I played the baritone. Not well. <laughs> um, and I think I played a little bit of tuba too at that point. But again, I, I wasn't super into band. It was just kind of like a class that I took at school. It wasn't really like, oh, this is going to be my career. <laughs> it was just kind of like, ah, oh, this is a cool class. Like I get to hang out with my friends and like try and read sheet music and like yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. And I remember coming to my first ever jazz band rehearsal with Jack Kolish as our as our director at that point. That was grade nine. It was like a month or something into grade nine when all the bands started up. And we came to the first rehearsal and like half of the people had instruments and like half of the other people didn't bring instruments. And, you know, we had this whole talk with Jack about, oh, what instrument are you going to play? Like, what did you play in middle school? And I remember walking up to him and I was like, hi, Mr. Kolish, I play the tuba. Can I play in jazz band? And he was like, yes, you can, but you can't play tuba. Here's a bass trombone. It's kind of the same. It's just slidey, and you'll have to figure that part out. But bass trombone is great, and you should try it. And that is how I started bass trombone. I didn't choose the bass trombone. It chose me. <laughs> and you're still figuring out that slidey part. Oh, my God, the slidey part is hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I still am figuring it out. Yeah, a lot of people get that experience on bass. Maybe they play guitar, and they get yeah. an opportunity to play in a group because of bass. Yeah. Because they can make that switch. I started playing upright bass because the school had them and I never had touched one before. I got yeah. to use the school-owned upright basses, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and then I, I heard Jody Prosnick come in and play the upright bass. Oh my God, she's so good. I love Jody. I started learning about upright bass. I heard yeah. I heard her play with Jesse Cahill on drums. I saw that Jesse plays a lot of gigs, so I started going to the gigs that he goes to and then I saw that there was this whole community out here and then I got really interested in playing jazz. And that was like grade 10 because then I did the Douglas College Summer Jazz Intensive. Nice, yeah. That year, that summer, and that was it. Then I was like all into it. But before then, yeah, it was just kind of a class for me. And I remember it like alternated with PE. So it was yep. just a fun hang because I had these same people who I got to know in the band room and then we got to do PE class together. And then that was actually fun and not as <laughs> dreadful as it maybe could have otherwise been. Yeah. So it started out being a fun hang for me. But then, yeah, there were these these times when I realized that I could get into it. Yeah. So that sounds like it happened for you once you got into that bass trombone spot, once you were in this jazz band. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think when I really started taking bass trombone seriously was like the tail end of grade 10 when Steve Clements and Kelly Prosnick came up to me one day and I was just minding my own business being a grade 10 aged person. Um, and they came up to me and they're like, hey, there's this thing called BCMEA that's happening and they need a bass trombonist for next fall and you're going to do it. And I was like, I'm going to do it? No, 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 hold on a second. BCMEA, what is that? And they told me, you know, it's like, oh, BC Music Educators Association. It's like a provincial jazz band and you're going to do it. Going into that, I remember being so scared. The rehearsal started in the fall of my grade 11 year. And I remember going into that and I was like, oh my God, like, 
this is so scary. And the same thing happened with me, actually, as in Jazz Orchestra 1. I walked into the rehearsal and, like, some of the people knew each other already. Some of, like, the the really great Vancouver youth jazz musicians, they knew each other. And they were like, oh, hey, how's it going, man? Like, haven't seen you in a few months. And I walked in as, like, a younger, very scared bass trombonist. And I was like, oh, my God. And I just remember after that, I practiced, I practiced those charts a lot. And then... Uh, when we did our one week of like super intensive rehearsals uh, sometime in October, I think it was like second last week of October, that's when I knew I wanted to do music because I'm rehearsing for like six or eight hours a day and I absolutely love it. And it's so fun learning this stuff and being under the direction of an amazing musician. Christine Jensen was our director. And I think that's when I knew that I wanted to do music. It's like beginning of grade 11. So it's funny to see the pattern kind of repeat itself. You know, for the first time in grade nine, I was like, oh my God, bass trombone, what is this? Scary. Same thing happened in, in uh, BCMEA and happened again at McGill. So I think it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny because it keeps repeating itself. Yeah, a few yeah. thoughts there. One, yeah, I feel really fortunate because turns out that we met just right after that, just right after you had that BCMEA experience. Then I came in, I did my thing at the high school and then we met after that. So I got to know you and what you were up to right after you had that experience. So that's super cool timing. Yep. And this thing is so important about that particular experience of walking in for the first time. And it's like you're, what you're getting out of that is motivation. So mm-hmm. you've zeroed in on this kind of experience that gives you motivation, or at least gives you the opportunity to go and find it from then on, right? And you've noticed it because it's happened to you at like two or three really clear times, but it's actually mm-hmm. a really rare thing. So it's so cool that you've identified that. You can point it out because sometimes people wonder where they can find that kind of motivation or energy. Yeah. And it really does seem like it comes from putting yourself out there in an unfamiliar situation and then how you react to it, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things for me that I'd always try and do, just being uncomfortable musically you know being like oh there's something I want to do okay you know my options are I can do it and I can try and be like kind of vulnerable about myself and do it or I cannot do it but the not do it alternative to me always sticks out as like what if I don't do it and then what if I missed out on doing something super cool you know or meeting a new friend or learning a new style of music and so I always try and push myself to to do things like that um, and almost every time that I've done it, it has worked out super well yeah I mean I've never been afraid to critique music university i do that (laughs) as part of my profile in general but one thing that i can't argue with is that it's such an excellent way to sort potential friends into such a clear category right like if you think about any other subject that you go to school for how many of them go into it knowing that you have so much in common with them more than music it's got to be one of the best ones so Mm -hmm. in terms of places you can go at 18 to make friends in an academic pursuit it's still got it's got to be one of the best oh yeah for sure and like the cool thing too about it is that a lot of your friends are going to be your colleagues too yep um so music school is like i mean it couldn't be good and it can be bad (laughs) (laughs) but um it's a great spot to to make friends and then you know in the future um i'm hoping to still have connections with a bunch of people that i meet at shulik right we'll be able to be professional musicians and be like oh hey you know i remember so and so that i met at university right so it's a really great spot to like establish those connections initially and kind of like make new friends and figure out who you want to be friends with and who you want to work with and you know types of people you enjoy 
talking to versus playing with. Yeah, and that goes for the faculty as well as your mm-hmm. classmates. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, They could be your colleagues too. And that's also pretty unique in music, more so than in other places. You could actually end up working directly with the people who were your instructors. Yeah. Now, I know that, again, from our conversations in your grade 12 year, you approached going to music school in the same way that I did, which is that neither of us had a backup plan when we were hitting that graduation and going into university right out of high school. I had other ones during my grade 12 year, but I I let them go because I decided not to pursue them. I knew that even if I got accepted to multiple places, there was one place I was going, which was to Cafalano University locally to continue to play jazz with my friends and my colleagues. Mm -hmm. So I did not have a plan B, and I understand that you did not either. No, no. Yeah, in kind of the same sense. Maybe you did apply to other places, but you knew that this is where you wanted to go. Yeah, um, I applied to UBC and McGill, both for classical trombone. Yeah, I did not have a backup plan ever. As soon as I knew I wanted to play music in grade 11 as a job, there were no backup plans. Like there, you know, there were some classes at school that I was like, oh, this is interesting. But in comparison to how much I love music and want to do music, there was nothing that I would rather do, which I think is really cool. (laughs) Nice. Well, is there anybody whose career you saw as an example and you were like, the thing that I want to do is pretty close to what this person is doing? I struggled with that. I, I maybe have had that, but I found that difficult. Not in music as a profession. Yeah. But in other instances, yes. Maybe as a teacher? Well, my trombone teacher in high school, like my first teacher I had private lessons with, uh, I want a career like his career. He has a, such a cool career. Oh, my God. So he's a trombonist. Uh, and before he was a trombonist, he was a conductor, an orchestral conductor. And before he was an orchestral conductor, he was an orchestral musician. Um, and he does all sorts of things. He told me the story once about how he just, like, met and hung out with Canadian brass, like the quintet. And I just, that's insane to me. And just something like that would be really cool. And, and my current trombone teacher, Trevor, he played in some big bands for a while. I don't know if they were like super professional or if it was more just kind of on the side, but I want to play in big bands. And then he also is a teacher and he plays in the Orchestre Metropolitain in Montreal, which is an orchestra. Yeah. So that's also really cool. I think both of them have had, have had amazing careers and Trevor's in the army too. He plays in army bands. And, um, but I, I would love to do a kind of a combination of their two careers together. Then, yeah, you're right. If you want to do that, you're, in the right place and the focus on classical is the foundation where you could then go on and do all those other things right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it didn't work out for me so much because i just realized that i wasn't like a professional teacher that wasn't what i had kind of in me and like i could probably do it if i had to but i wouldn't be anywhere near as good as like the teachers that i've admired and respected the most Mm -hmm. So once I figured that out, it was pretty clear that music university wasn't the right place for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have noticed that it has been very good for people who want to be educators, even if it's not all the time, but at least for some or all of their career to kind of give it that foundation. That's what it seems like it projects as like the career path once you go there. Yeah. I mean, for me, I want to do a combination of professional kind of level playing and being a teacher. Yeah. So one of the other creative pursuits that you do is photography. And I had another musician photographer who went to McGill nice. uh, and who went to End Of on the show in the <laughs> cool. past. Yeah. Uh, her artist name is Lena. And I asked what photography taught her about 
doing other creative pursuits. And she said stuff like teaches you to follow your instincts in the sense of like appreciating the things that make your work stick out as different or unique. Mm -hmm. And about how the process of editing photos can be like the process of preparing recorded music that you're working on. That's that kind cool. Of thing. So I've never thought about it that way before. Any other thoughts on what photography has been like for you and how it fits into the things you're doing now? One thing actually that just came to mind is that when you're seeing a photo, finished, edited, everything's fixed up kind of photo, you're not seeing the whole process. Say you have a picture of, I don't know, your friend on the beach or whatever. You know, you're not seeing the walk to the beach. You're not seeing the drive to the beach. You're not seeing like the wind or the sand flying everywhere. You're seeing like one frame, uh, especially in, in portrait photography. And I find that to be the same when you're recording music. Because when you're recording music, especially now with the technology that's widely available to a lot of musicians, you're really hearing an ideal edited version of what that would be like, usually. And so I think it's really important to keep in mind, even when you're watching a musician perform live, you're seeing not just the performance, but you're seeing the work up to that performance. And sometimes for me, I struggle a lot with comparing myself to other people. I do it all the time. And if I kind of take a step back when I'm watching a, a great musician perform, I tend to think about how much work they've put in to get to that point. And when I think about that, I feel a lot better about it because it's like, okay, they can't just wake up and play this entire concerto. They have to learn it. They have to listen to it. They have to mess it up a lot of times. They have to like crack a lot of notes. They have to miss a lot of partials, be out of tune, and then they get it. And the same thing is true when you're taking pictures. You know, you try a pose and it's like, mm, you try something else and it's like, okay. And then eventually you get something good and then you bring it to your computer and you edit it. And I just, yeah, I think it's really important to think about it that way is not just this is what this person can do, but this is the effort that they've put in to get up to this point. Yeah. It's really a mental game to music. Like, it's kind of like being an athlete. You got to keep doing it. And, you know, there will be times you'll be more in shape or more out of, out of shape or you'll have like a, you know, a bad practice day. Sometimes a bad practice month. Like that's happened to me before. Yeah. Ugh, awful. But, you know, and you just got to keep going and, you know, try your best. But it's really, it's really a mental game, in my opinion, being a professional musician and, you know, getting into that kind of zone. So I want to go out by asking about another project that you've been doing in an okay. ensemble at mcgill and it's because it contains one of my favorite musical words of all time <laughs> oh no i know where you're going with this yeah yep. so tell our audience for anybody who doesn't know what a sack butt <laughs> is what is a sack butt a sack butt it is an early evolutionary ancestor of the modern day tenor trombone and I guess the bass. And trombone. the tenor trombone is the normal one. Tenor trombone is like non-trombonist. Yeah, for okay, yeah, for non <laughs> for non-trombonist. Sometimes I assume everybody's a trombonist, and then I'm just like, you know, I start talking about trombone stuff, and people are like, "What are you talking about?" Um, yeah, no, uh, tenor trombone, a typical straight, what we call a straight tenor trombone, is the one you see in a jazz band. You see, it's like one tube. There's no valves or anything. It's just a mouthpiece, a slide, a little thingy that goes behind your left shoulder, and then a bell flares out and that is a straight tenor trombone and you have like an orchestral tenor trombone which is like the same as a straight tenor trombone i can go on about this for so long which has like a valve and then bass trombone has two valves which gives us more accessibility to fundamentals in a lower register or a different key yeah. i could talk about that forever but so you played in an early music ensemble and you played the sack butt i did play the sack butt i played the tenor sack butt yep yeah the bass sack butt is in f which is the same as for non-trombone yeah the, i haven't played the bass sack uh the bass sack but for any extended period of time i think i tried my friends once 
Um, but the bass sackbut is in F. The tenor sackbut uh, is in, is in concert. Okay. Yeah. So what clef does the bass sackbut use? You know, I think it's mostly bass clef. But when I played sackbut this semester, I played tenor sackbut. Huh. So I played in bass clef, treble clef down an octave, and tenor clef. And my friend who also played tenor sackbut played in alto clef. But I can't really read tenor clef that fast, so <laughs> that nope. was that was an adventure. But I want to read more clefs because reading tenor clef as a bass trombone is just like kind of important. I should be doing it. Yeah. Okay. Last last thing. I know there's other students from our high school who have gone to McGill too. Even making friends, people who are probably based all over the world, like from states or from other countries or from other parts of Canada. But there's also probably some people who are from here new westminster who you're still friends with over there so if there's anybody else you want to shout out who has made your last three months brighter you're welcome to name them Ooh, okay <laughs> well i really i think it's super cool that there's a there's a bunch of vancouver people that are at mcgill i don't need to name them all but it's been great knowing tony he's a drummer margaret's also there uh she plays in a big band um Lisa's there, Lisa Matsugu. I think she's in music ed right now. There's all sorts of people from Vancouver that I know. Um, and then there's uh, my best friend, Lucy, who is from California. And a bunch of people on my floor at RVC, my building, that I'm very happy to have met. Uh, and everyone in the classical, you know, and I guess in the jazz, in Chulik, in the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, everyone in Chulik, I'm super happy to have met and have been friends with. I'm sure the feeling is mutual because I have always gotten sense that you're just this grounded, cool person who Aww. has who's coming in with the right attitude here. So it was fun to catch up with you for this chat. I am coming to Montreal. Nice. Probably what? in April or May. So maybe you'll still be there or maybe you're not. But either way, yeah. we'll have something to talk about at that point. So oh, in yeah. 2022, I'm going to Montreal for the first time in several years. And I'm really excited. Thanks for taking the time. Enjoy the rest of your time in New West. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the show yet, make sure you do and tell your friends who might enjoy listening too. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production. See show notes for full production credits. Copyright 2022, Chernoff Music. <laughs>